When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. We've got a lot to get to in a short amount of time today. Uh, I have to say, a few things before we start talking about the hockey, we start talking to David Bastel and all that. I was amped for today, and nothing brought me more joy than seeing a photo of CJ before the show started of him wearing his blue suit and sunglasses in his hotel room. Because when sunglasses CJ is activated, you know things are about to get ridiculous. Ridic, bud. I'm in Florida. I gotta gotta look the part. Florida man CJ is back. Oh my god. Yeah, oh my god. Fun. Um, so you also went to Starbucks today, uh, already got your coffee in. Can you show us, uh, the name on your coffee cup? Uh, for for those, uh, not watching on YouTube, uh, C H R I X. How do you get Cricks? (laughs) I mean, if they had to slap the Z on there and it was Chris, at least I get that. (laughs) i've never seen that in my life i have no idea how that happened i i don't know either i had to shout that out because you showed it uh before we started recording and i laughed my ass off starbucks woke up on a monday morning and chose violence (laughs) okay one other thing um father's day was over the weekend uh i got to spend time with my pops Uh, i got to give him some uh some gifts uh some shirts from the SDPN uh, shop, which you can also check out on uh, on our fair website. And uh, I got him some shirts with uh, my face on. What did you do with your father before you left for Tampa? Or were you able, or how, how did it work for you this weekend? Well, you've just shown me up here. I mean, you know, my dad does not, <laughs> does not miss an episode of this. He's going to be like listening to this like the second it's posted. He's going to be like, wait, Julian bought his dad gifts? Because uh, well, yeah. I, I didn't get my dad a gift. But uh, I did go down. I actually went the weekend before mm-hmm. the cup final started, went down to Coburg. We had uh, lunch. I treated, but uh, wasn't, didn't get him any gifts with my, my face on it, but that's probably a blessing in disguise in my case. So my, my dad almost didn't want to take out the clothes from the packaging because he considers these shirts like collector's items now. <laughs> well, they're, they're probably pretty hard to find. I'm not sure we've sold a whole bunch. So, and I don't mean just of you. I mean, of all of us. I don't know about that. I, I think you're selling the SDPN fans a little short here. I, I think there are a couple of people walking around with stick tap shirts with our faces on. That's fair. I got a, I got a Steve Dangle shirt. So yeah, we both have Steve Dangle shirts. We wore them that one time. Well, not the one time. The first time we ever did a show in person together. Um, another thing I have to say: thank you to everyone who suggested. Uh, different uh, punishments or, or different things I could do as part of the uh, Stanley Cup final bet that was posed between myself and Siege. 
I have decided for the Stanley Cup final, if the Tampa Bay Lightning win, I will down a big glass of pickle juice on air and uh, I'll do it in one go. I'm not going to do like a whole like sip or anything like that. I'm going to try to take it to the head, essentially. That is what I will do if the Tampa Bay Lightning find a way to win this series, even if it doesn't look good for them right now. I think you got to do pickle juice ender dick tattoo, given that Tampa's down 0-2 and, and under a mountain of doubt right now. I mean, <laughs> the odds of Tampa winning this series are what? I mean, we'll talk to David Bastel. He'll give us the actual odds, but it feels like 100 to 1. I'm sure that's not quite exact. But, but like, I don't know. Just the, I don't know why people are riding off Tampa. I, it does, I don't get it. I, I understand Colorado has looked as dominant as they've looked the first two games. This is Tampa Bay. They have when they get going, they get going, and it's hard to stop them, like an avalanche. Like, and they get to play at home. They have the benefit of last change. They've done this before, in especially in this postseason, where they've looked down and they and they've rolled all the way back. Unless they lose Game Three, I cannot consider this series to be over. I can't. Well, I'm just like like what Colorado's lost two of sixteen games in the last seven weeks. Yes. They, they held Tampa to 23 shots in game one and again went to overtime. I'm like, well, surely Tampa will get going for game two. They had 16 shots in game two. Like the Lightning just haven't had the puck. It's not like they just lost. I mean, it's been, it's been a thorough beating. So, you know, I, look, you're right. It doesn't matter. It truly doesn't matter functionally if you lose one nothing or 7 nothing. I mean, it's still a loss as a loss in a playoff series. Not aggregate score here, but... I have trouble seeing the lightning and I picked the lightning in six. So look at, I'm, I'm, I, I underestimated the avalanche. I thought it was going to be a different kind of game, but they've, they've owned it for, for two here. And I just don't see you having to drink pickle juice or get a ridiculous tattoo or whatever else you might do. Uh, so technically your, your, your hopes of lightning in six are still alive. There's still a chance they could win like four in a row. For sure. I mean, they've won four in a row before. They've done it twice during this playoffs. Yes, but I don't know. I just think with what Tampa has shown before, the fact that they are the back-to-back reigning Stanley Cup champions, in my view, I, I, I have to give them the benefit of the doubt. They cannot escape Tampa uh, with only one win in their next two games, but they have, to, they have to win both. But I'm not ready to give up on them yet. I, I can't do it. It's, I do not want to look like an idiot when the Lightning eventually, you know, find their game again and Andre Vasilevsky is shutting the door. Uh, but if Colorado wins and you have to do stick taps in French, which is your side of the bet here, uh, I'm not going to be too upset. Well, why don't we just switch the bet then? Wait, wait you, what do you want to do then? If you believe in Tampa so much, give me, uh, give me Colorado and you could take the Lightning. Oh, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Nice try. Nice try, big buddy, CJ. Okay. We've done enough fooling around here. We'll get to some actual serious topics on the other side of David Bastel. What a shame I'm going to be to my French teacher. Seriously. I mean, they're going to be like, (laughs) we tried so hard. We tried so hard with this kid, but it didn't happen. Hey, man, look, Duolingo, do some reading, get a Becherel, do what you need to do to get yourself prepared for that bet if it comes time. In the meantime, time to bring on David Bastel from Sports Interaction. As always, this is 19 plus. If you're playing Sports Interaction, we ask that you play responsibly. And there is a link to responsible gaming strategies 
in the description of this show. See, you just mentioned something pretty interesting at the end of uh, our segment with David Bastel. The fact that uh, Eric Carlson, uh, what year is it, 2017? I want to say yeah. he got a con, he got a consmite vote. So yeah, but he only got third place vote. So since there's precedent, couldn't Connor McDavid get like a third place, a couple of third place votes this year? Yeah, I mean he could get a first place vote. I'm not saying he's going to, but there's, you know, the the description of the award is simply the playoff MVP. So, you know, I've I, I can't remember how many times I voted on the consmite. Probably the last ten years or so. Mm-hmm. I, I have trouble calling anyone the playoff MVP that only plays three rounds. Cause come on, the point of the playoffs is to win the damn thing. And so, I mean, I think it's hard to vote for a losing team player in the final, but at least that person got their team within a game or two games or three games or four games of winning the cup. Um, but there's nothing strictly speaking in the, in the rules that say he can't, I haven't asked any of my colleagues. I make a point of not talking to them about it. Cause I don't want to influence votes one way or the other, but, so I don't know what anyone's going to do, but it will all be released by the Professional Hockey Writers Association after the Cups awarded the breakdown. And I, I could see someone doing it just because McDavid still has a chance to win the scoring title, right? The playoff scoring title, uh, which is pretty crazy, given that he only got four games in round three and then obviously none in round four. Um, but, you know, I can say without spoiling anything, he will not be on my ballot. So you'd rather vote for someone like, oh, I don't know, big uh, Val Nachuskin for the Conswife Trophy? Are you riding this train, eh? You, you love that. I, I'm very intrigued about the story with big Val and how he has emerged from this guy in Dallas who, you know, was falling short of expectations, goes to the KHL, comes back, still not necessarily the guy, and then turns into this, this perfect player for this Colorado system and this great two-way player for them. I don't, I'm not saying he's going to necessarily win the con Smythe, but I do like the storyline that he has emerged as a legitimate contender for that trophy. Well, I would say this, if we had a strictly finals MVP as you know, the NBA does and major league baseball does with the world series, he'd, he'd be the front runner after two games. I think just strictly for those two games, um, you know, and quite a story. He was bought out at age 24. He had zero goals and zero penalty minutes in an NHL season. I mean, it's, you, you couldn't set out to do that. It would, it would be hard to imagine not, I mean, statistically not affecting the game at all. And there's huge hopes. He's a top 10 pick by the stars, made the team early. Lots of big quotes. If you go back to that time, comparing him to Malkin and things like that. I mean, just turns out with hindsight, just unfair of him to have to shoulder that. And, but give him credit. He's, he's, you know, not just this season. This was by far his best Sanchez season, but the last two before it in Colorado too, he turned himself into a player, found a home. You know, I don't actually think it's impossible he leaves the Avalanche. I mean, the Avalanche are one of these teams, and let's not race too far ahead, but they're going to have some cap-related challenges. Um, you know, a lot number of the players they traded for need, need new deals. Maybe you're walking out the door, but even, you know, Arturi Lekkinen, for example, is an RFA and, you know, I think that, that all things being equal, though, they, they wouldn't mind trying to keep Nachushkin if they could. It's just perhaps he's priced himself beyond that because this has been such a good year. And, and you know, relative to what these guys make, he hasn't had he hasn't had a big payday yet. And I think this is an opportunity for at least a medium to, you know, medium sized payday, I would say, for for what he might be able to get on the open market. This is such an interesting situation because he could just stay in Colorado, make less money but assure himself that he'll be part of a winning 
team for the next how many years? It's hard to say if Colorado is actually going to be this dynasty team that'll win four or five Stanley Cups in a row. It's so hard to do. But at the very least, with what Colorado is able to do, they should be in the playoffs for the next how many years? You could do that, or you can take this big money payday from a team that might not use you to your strengths, maybe put you on a higher line. It might be a very different situation. There's just this risk that comes from, from being in a player of, of, of Val's situation. He could end up getting this big money, and then we kind of look at him as like a, like a free agent bust in a weird way, not to kind of put that on him, but it's, it's just some of the different decisions and different pathways you have to consider for players of his ilk. Well, and because of his specific circumstances, I think he'll be more aware of that than anyone. I mean, clearly it didn't work in Dallas and I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not blaming exclusively the organization, the team or his coach, but you know, there would be some element where that wasn't, he didn't find the right fit there. He didn't find what was needed for him to be successful. And and part of it, of course, is just getting older, getting more experience, getting stronger, all those things. But, you know, it's, it's in Colorado, he's, he's found his niche and he's, he's played his best game and, and he's extremely comfortable. And, And so that would be part of the decision you have to make. I do think it's an easier decision to leave if they win the cup here um, in some ways, because, you know, there's no unfinished business then. I mean, it's, it's, it's literally just business. You know, I've, I've been part of this thing. We did what we all set out to do. You can't pay me what the market's going to pay me. I've got to go elsewhere now. You know, thank you for the memories. Um, I think, I think it is easier to leave if you win, just my opinion. Um, you know, if somehow they lose a series and, and he is comfortable and they feel like there's still some more there on the vine, maybe, maybe he sticks around, but um, either way, he's in a great position. He's, he's become the player he wants to be. He's, in a great spot to sign his next contract. And he's definitely getting paid more next year than he got paid this year to do his job. For sure. I, I Something we could probably do on a future episode closer to free agency. I'd be curious to know if he decides to test the market where he would rank on a free agent board of the top available free agents. Obviously not necessarily a top three or top five guy, but considering what he's done in the playoffs, I wonder how, what the interest would look like. Definitely some playoff contending teams would probably be willing to throw some money at Big Val. That's something we could look ahead more in the future when it comes to Big Val and other free agents on the CJ show. We can yeah, I haven't, I haven't got my sort of board together yet in a, like I've started to work on it. You know, clearly he'd be in the middle class, but you know, there's, there's actually some pretty good, what I would call middle class free agents, you know, whether it's a guy like Andrew Kopp who had a great run with the Rangers after the trade from Winnipeg. I think we, we call Nazem Kadri. He'd be higher class, I guess, given the mm-hmm. point totals we had this year. Anyway, it'll be a fun exercise. We're, we're going we're gonna to get them in some kind of order that I think makes sense. And, and Nichushkin's probably higher than anyone would have thought entering the year if we talked about potential free agents. I don't think he would have got much shine at all. But because of the success he's had and the team's had, he's, he's getting lots of pub at the moment. CJ's free agent board. Got my pen clicking here. We're going to write that idea down. Want to transition to another topic. So Tampa, they're down 2-0. They've been thoroughly outclassed. They play at home. I don't think this series is over by any stretch of the imagination, but I have no idea beyond using their home ice advantage to their advantage, what they should do to win game three and, and, and try to win the rest of the series. Like what can they actually do? in order to get themselves back on the good foot? Well, they got to, they got to slow the avalanche down. Um, how they do that is 
a question because obviously while doing that, you don't want to be taking penalties. So you've got to find a way systematically to make it harder for the avalanche to, to beat them in transition. I mean, how many goals in a series? It feels like it's either an odd man rush or even just a rush guy gets into a dangerous area and just ripping the puck by Vasilevsky. Now that was interesting. Josh Manson after Josh Manson mentioned after game two, that they, they feel that Vasilevsky historically low blocker has been a challenge for him because it does seem like they've put a few shots by him in that spot. You know, that being said, every goaltender has a, a quote unquote weakness or an area where they're probably not as good as others. Um, but, but even that they acknowledge that, I mean, I, I think for Tampa, they, they have to somehow exert themselves. I think they have to probably play a little more physically, like, like part of, Tampa's MO. I know we've talked about the defensive side when they're when they're at their best. I, I think they're actually kind of a little bit of a gritty team. I know they got obviously some high-end skill players, but you know, I think that they need to somehow take over the terms. And then, you know, it could come down to something as simple as they need Andre Vasilevsky to be like the Vasilevsky that that we've seen so much in the last three years, rather than than this guy. And and it's certainly not putting it on him because he's faced so many high danger chances. I think some of that's a product of them getting behind in the, the, the two first periods of, of the series, you know, right off the get go, they're, they're chasing each game and probably taking more chances than they'd, they'd prefer. And so I don't know that there's one area that's, this is the problem. There's like five areas. It feels like they have to, to shore up, but because it's a lightning and because of everything we've seen from them, I'm with you in saying like, it's not 100% over. Like it, it, it wouldn't be that stunning to see them, deliver a game three that doesn't look like the first two and, and push back and throw some doubt into this thing. But I just, I don't know overall if they can match the speed and skill of Colorado over the remaining five games, potentially the series. It just, it just seems to me that the, the scales have tipped in, in Colorado's favor and, and, you know, I'm not sure there's anything any team can do. Like they, they might just be better than the lightning. It might not be again, a systemic or a lineup or any matchup kind of uh, problem for Tampa. Yeah, it, it it what's so wild about it is, you know, sometimes we'll look at a matchup and we'll see that a team is clearly better than the other. And you look at the other team and while they have good players, it's just, man, these guys are just not good enough. Imagine being a team like Tampa that has the best goalie in the world and that is not enough. A team that has a top three defenseman in the world and that is not enough. A team with a playoff gamer like Braden Point is, nope, not enough. Steven Stamkos having the best season he's had in quite some time. Nope, not enough. Nikita Kudrov, one of the better skilled forwards in the league, one of the better scorers in the league, better all-around forwards in the league. Nope, not enough. Like, this is as frustrating of a situation as I've ever seen for any team getting stomped on in the Stanley Cup final. We're not talking about a team on a Cinderella run that just isn't good enough. We're talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning that have won the last two Stanley Cups and have just about everything you need to win a Stanley Cup. And it is not enough because Colorado has that in spades. Yeah, and look, this is their third final in 23 months, which is insane. Like, they've played so much high-level competitive hockey. Some of that might be catching up, right? Like, Point gets injured in this playoffs. I know he's back. I think it's fair to assume he's not at 100%. To me, Hedman hasn't looked right either. He's nope. certainly not. He's not been himself. And we've, we've seen him for so long at what he is. And when he's not that, I have to presume he's dealing with an injury. And I, I don't have any specific info on that, but – I'm not going to criticize his performance in the sense that I, I just have to believe he's not playing, you know, healthy. McKinnon line has just filled in the Kucherov line. So it, it just could be that all these guys, it's the, the clock striking midnight a little bit. And, and 
it's, it's not to say that they're going to turn into pumpkins, but um, you know, I just think that there's only so much to give and, you know, maybe just the, the injury toll and everything is, is sort of caught up to the lightning to a certain degree. I'm sure it's frustrating. I mean, you would never want to lose a game in a cup final. You really don't want to lose a game seven, nothing. I mean, that's, that's uh, that, that's a tough one to swallow. And in the, again, in the manner they did like 16 shots, so many of their top players didn't even have a shot attempt in that game. Uh, like it wasn't even close. And so game three, you have to believe would be their best. Like whatever they have left, we're going to see it on the ice in game three. Won't guarantee success, but I would, I would think there'll just be a different juice around them because, you know, for all intents and purposes, the series on a line in game three, uh, you know, it, it is possible to come back from Oh three down. We've seen a few teams do it, but I think it's really hard in a cup final. You get this, you get this deep in the playoffs. It just, I don't think either team has a whole lot left per se, but, Colorado, I think, has more because they, you know, they've had two sweeps, six-game series. They've had lots of rest. I know they're down a couple of top players and and Kadri, Gerard, maybe Burakovsky now, who left game three or game two injured rather. But, um, you know, I just think I just think one team is way more rested and and hungry and all those things because because of their circumstances, right? They're, as I wrote my story the other day uh, for North Star Bets, too too fast, too skilled, you know, too determined. And two wins from the Stanley Cup right now. I got to say, with the work ahead for the Tampa Bay Lightning, in spite of the fact that they have all these great players, even if they're not playing at 100%, there should be so much pressure on John Cooper. I think if you're trying to think of an X factor for, for what Tampa needs to have working for them to win in this series at all, John Cooper needs to figure this out as head coach. He needs to put together a game plan that can slow down that Colorado Avalanche team and help them dictate the pace. I don't think it's necessarily on one player on that team. I understand that Andre Vasilevsky, maybe you need him to have an Andre Vasilevsky game where he just kind of steals it. But I think more importantly than anything, tactically something has to change. And I have to put, if, 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 some, if it was up to me, you have to put a lot of that pressure on John Cooper. I, I think that's what you have to do. Well, it's fair. And look, his whole coaching staff takes part in the tactical stuff. I think what John Cooper particularly 100%. specializes in, though, is, is the psychological stuff. And I don't mean with the other team. I think he's excellent at managing his own team, sort of emotion, their mindset, all that stuff. And, and I, I think that that's where he'll be at his best um, in, in the way into game three is just having them in the right frame of mind to, to get behind get beyond, you know, that lopsided loss and the way this series has started, you know, I think he'll find a way to, to push the right buttons to, again, get his, what his team's best in the moment is. And that's, you know, this isn't their absolute best because the, the function of where they're at with the injuries and all the things that have caught up to them. Um, but, you know, I don't think game three will be a walkover. And, and I do think you're going to see the lightning give you something. But this is probably where we learn once and for all, uh, how close you are to drinking pickle juice or not, because uh, <laughs> it, it, it just feels maybe like the, 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 you know, a change of the guard in the moment that, that Colorado is just too strong. And, and I don't, I don't see an answer for them, honestly, like these guys are ridiculous. Seriously, like they're, they're nuts. Um, it's just hard. I, I mean, I want to doff my cap to them. Like I just, it's full respect. And I, and I totally, I really thought when they got to, against the lightning, that it would be a different kind of game for them. And, and it hasn't been, they've, they've, they've exerted their will. They've played the way they want to play and they've done what they do best. And they just overwhelm opponents when they're, when they're at that level. Before we move on to some other news and notes, 
What did you think of the discourse surrounding Vasilevsky and the debate about pulling him in a moment where the game is well out of reach? I thought I felt that was starting to come up a lot in game two, and at least especially in the latter stages of that game, considering it was starting to look more like a football score than a hockey score. What did you think? Well, conventional wisdom is you you pull him if for no other reason, just give his mind a break and his body a break, right? I mean, I can't remember what the score at the intermission was four or five, nothing at that point. I mean, the that, second yeah. I mean, the point is the game was lost. And so I can understand that that push, but then what makes him special, that's less. He's played every minute of these three playoff runs and he plays a ton in the regular season, you know, top, top five at his, in his profession for playing games in the regular season. So the guy doesn't, he's a battler, he's a workhorse. And, and, you know, John Cooper mentioned, if he tried to take him out, he wouldn't have come out. So I think when he's that good, you, you lean on your goaltender. Like I don't, I don't see a need for a coach to impose himself. If the goalie wants to stay in, leave him in. Um, you know, this guy, he can handle it. He's barely been pulled his whole career. So, and you know, every goalie is going to have the odd bad night. He, you know, he lost game one of the Leafs of the playoffs, five, nothing. And apparently he was the one who came in the dressing room after and gave a speech about, don't worry, we'll be better next game, guys. So you know, he's, he's a unique bird, in, in, and I mean that in the, the best way possible. So he knows, he knows what works for him. I'm pretty sure John Cooper and France John, their, their goalie coach here in Tampa, know what's best for him. And, you know, far be it for me to say they had to pull him. I, I, but I get why there was discussion about that on the broadcast. I mean, anytime you see a team up 5 nothing heading into a second intermission, I mean, you don't expect the goalie to see the other side of it just because you got to play again in two days. And and typically you'd think that rest would be a good thing. Yeah. I just feel as if, I, I don't know. I felt like pulling him was just kind of the equivalent of pulling out the white flag. Like I don't see why you would do it. He's your guy. He's gotten you to this point. I, I just didn't, it's not something that would have crossed my mind necessarily. Maybe I guess if it would have gotten to like eight, nothing or something, I guess, but when it was like four, nothing, like, no, you're keeping him in the game. Cause look, with considering how good your team is in front, you can believe in them to come, to kind of come back. And I don't want Brian Elliott in that leading a comeback charge. I want my guy, Andre Vasilevsky. In that. Right. And you don't have to worry, but he's not a rookie goaltender. He's not someone first time in this situation. That was his hundredth playoff game. Uh, and he's not even what, 27 years old. So he's, he's experienced. Like, like, I think sometimes the pull, you're, you're worried about kind of the goalie's mental space if he lets in too many pucks. I just don't think that that's something the Lightning have, have any concern about with Vasilevsky. In fact, if anything, you see his numbers when he has a tough game, he more often than not comes back and completely shuts the door. So, you know, I think that, that we have to recognize that not every player is the same, not every – there's not one right answer here. And I think specifically with this player, I mean, it was fine to leave him in. It's – it's an ugly to hang that hot, the upside down hockey stick on his, his stat sheet doesn't look great, but I don't think it's going to bother him anymore. Driving to the rink for game three, game three later tonight, siege, you get to be in the building for it and for game four. And I presume for other games in the rest of the series, you get to travel to Denver. If it gets to that point. Yes, sir. I'm they're stuck with me now. As long as there's games to play, I'll be there. Uh, you imagine being stuck with Chris Johnston. What a luxury for some people. <laughs> That's All right, let's get. Don't say someone who's never really been stuck with me. So, uh, I mean, not yeah, not really. I guess, but fair point. I guess, I guess. but twice a week where you're stuck doing these things with me. 
I don't consider myself stuck. Anyway, uh, to the news and notes here. We don't need to harp too long on these different points, but more just your kind of general thoughts on everything. Uh, I want to start with uh, a big trade in uh, Montreal and Vegas involving a player that we discussed previously on this, actually two players we've discussed previously on this show. Shea Weber going to the Vegas Golden Knights in exchange for Evgeny Dadanov. What do you think? Great trade for Montreal um, because it's so hard to get rid of a player who has four years left on his deal and is never going to be able to play again. Someone who's making $7.8 million uh, there and abouts, which is what's on Shea Weber's contract. Because essentially any team that's acquiring him is committing themselves to being a long-term injured reserve for those four years, uh, because that's money, essentially it's dead money on the cap. And so it's really hard to move that much somewhere else. And the fact that Montreal did it for a player in Dadnov who I think can play and who has one year on his contract and, you know, could therefore be a free agent. Um, you know, I think it's a screaming home run for Montreal because very few teams this would have made sense for now Vegas happens to be one of the teams that makes sense for because Vegas now gets a $5 million cap relief for this coming season, which they need. They actually need more. They're going to, you know, probably make another deal uh, to, to shed cap space. And, you know, they feel as though with Shea Weber's contract in future seasons going down to 1 million per season, that maybe they can trade this contract moving forward. So, um, you know, it was a rare fit for both sides, but, I love it, especially for Montreal. It just gives them a bit more flexibility. You know, this is all really tied to Carey Price and, and not knowing if he's going to play another game or if he's going to play the next four years remaining on his deal. But now at least the Canadians can, I think, better maneuver if he's not able to be back. Um, and they didn't really pay a price here, right? A, a lot of times when teams are trading cap space, they have to put in a sweetener. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, last year, Tampa actually made the sort of the reverse of this trade, but uh, with Chicago to, to get rid of essentially Tyler Johnson's $5 million contract. They took on Brent Seabrook's contract coming back, but they also had to attach a second round pick essentially, you know, for, for the trouble. Um, so the fact that Montreal got rid of Weber, uh, the, the deal, didn't have to pay a sweetener price and, you know, got someone I think who can help their lineup short term. He is a UFA. I would expect Dadnov probably to be traded before the deadline. Now, um, you know, so he's an asset in that sense for the Canadians. You know, I think all around that's it's hard for me to see a, a downside to it. And, and so, you know, look, I know some people don't like these trades. It's you have to sort of understand the workings of the, C, the CBA to, to, to sort of grasp why it helps each team. Um, but, you know, from this, this is a nerd's paradise trade. And, and this particular nerd uh, gives gives the, the Habs uh, three thumbs up for that one. Yeah, because if they had Shea Weber's contract still, uh, the Kent Hughes kept reiterating this during his press conference. They would they could have found themselves in a position where they had have had almost like nearly like what twenty million on LTIR near like around that. Like it, it was it would have been a very difficult situation for them to kind of maneuver through. Yeah, and there's an off season salary cap, and obviously the in season salary cap, which would have been complicated for them. I mean, even just from a practical standpoint, when a team starts the season, they have to start the year cap compliant. So the very first day of a regular season, if let's say Carey Price, we knew in, at some future point he was never going to play again and Shea Weber's in the same spot, they would have had to have both of those players under the cap ceiling on day one before moving them to LTIR. It would have been a nightmare. It would have basically been unmanageable, frankly. Uh, and so this, this at least frees them of one of those contracts. You know, 
the Canadians hope Carey Price is healthy and can keep playing. Uh, Carey Price hopes that, but you know, we saw him when he accepted the Masterton Trophy uh, a week or two ago. You know, he was pretty open that he doesn't know what's going on with his career, and so Montreal's got a plan for worst case scenarios, and and you know, I, I think that this helps them do that. And as I say, they, they just didn't really have to. There's there's nothing. There's no downside for them. I guess they're, they're spending a little bit more real dollars on Dadnov, but they're also getting a real player, you know, who's going to play games for them and score goals for them. And then ultimately probably be traded in, into a draft pick at some point down the line. So I, I, you know, Vegas didn't have a whole lot of options here either. You know, I'm not saying Vegas lost the trade. Vegas is in a losing position right now because they have to shed salary cap space. It's not easy to do. Um, but, you know, from, from the Canadians end of things, you know, they tried to trade, Weber's contract at the deadline. I believe there was some talks with Arizona at that time. It didn't turn out. And, and so then you wondered if it was going to happen. And so for them to, to have this relief now, I just think it, it does clarify the picture for them. Not so much this summer, but when we're looking at summer 2023, summer 2024, they're going to be better positioned to chase free agents or add, add salary and trades or whatever at that time. And presumably then they're going to be trying to, to get back to being good and being, you know, acquiring players who are going to be owed those, those sort of salaries. Before we get to Ask CJ, uh, where we take in questions from uh, you all fine folks on uh, the Twitter space or on Discord, uh, just some coaching stuff. Uh, John Tortorella, officially in Philadelphia, uh, on a four-year contract. Uh, Pete DeBoer, looks as if he could be joining the Dallas Stars. Uh, Pierre Lebrun, saying that Barry Trotz could make a decision uh, very soon. A lot of coaching news uh, coming up uh, over these last few days. Siege. Which of these stories intrigues you the most? Well, look, a lot of coaches getting paid good money, right? You know, Bruce Cassidy was making $3 million in Boston. He gets $4.5 on a five-year deal from Vegas. And that's those are tax-free Nevada dollars, too. So that's, you know, yes, a sir. great win, windfall for him and his family. I think a great situation for him. John Tortorella gets $4 million in Philadelphia. So, you know, we're, we're seeing kind of this class of coach, you know, get, get compensated quite well. Don't know where the dollars are going to end up for DeBoer in Dallas, but, you know, it does sound like he's going to end up there. And so... Those are some of the veteran guys off the market. It leaves, you know, not just Barry Trotz. I mean, obviously, you still got Paul Maurice out there. Not sure if he'll be back to coach this season, but, you know, there are other veteran options. Um, you know, Barry's got a meeting with the, the Winnipeg Jets again here in the, in the next day or two. Uh, and so maybe maybe he's coming home. Maybe that offer of free beer for life was just too tempting. Uh, but, but you know, it's pretty clear, too, that there's a market for what what coaches of his ilk have been paid. I mean, some of those guys like Cassidy don't have a Stanley cup on their resume. You know, Bruce had all kinds of success in Boston. I know we were over that, you know, when he got fired there um, not too long ago, but you know, uh, to get Barry Trotz to go to Winnipeg is going to cost some money, probably more money than they've ever paid a head coach. So, you know, that that's, that's one thing that stands out to me. Curious where Detroit Red Wings go. It seems like there's some feeling that they're going to go a little bit more off the board. I'd say, you know, not, not necessarily, one of these coaches that's coached elsewhere in the NHL before, you know, Steve Eisman keeps his cards pretty close to the vest, but you know, just, just some of the, the scuttlebutt I'm hearing is you could see maybe a different sort of hire there. Um, but you know, some of these teams that are ready to contend sooner or hoping to contend sooner or in Philadelphia's case, hoping to get back to being a contender right away have gotten the veteran road and, you know, they've had to, to open the owner's wallet to get it done. I the one thing I, about this Tortorella move to Philadelphia that I keep thinking of, look, Philadelphia is not in a position to contend. I just want to know how long it takes before Torts gets annoyed by Gritty. That is the one thing I genuinely care about with that story. I'm going to be really honest. 
I'm actually fascinated by Tortorella in Philly because, look, I think that there's a couple views out there about what John Tortorella once was. I think if you look closely at his record in Columbus, first of all, I've never heard a player there really say anything bad about him. Like he's in his own way, a player's coach. I know he can be demanding and hard, um, but I think he's very, very honest. And I think his players come to appreciate that he got a in my eyes, he got a lot out of that team and, you know, a couple of playoff runs they, you know, they, they swept Tampa. They're the last team to beat Tampa in 2019 yes. uh, in the playoffs. That is in a playoff series, uh, you know, they beat the Leafs in 2020 in the bubble. Um, you know, I, I think that he is capable of squeezing a lot out of a team, but I, I just don't know where the flyers are as an organization. I mean, they, they got a lot of big money committed to older players on the wrong side of 30 and you just sort of wonder what the direction is there. So that, that, that to me all around is just a fascinating scenario um, because I, I don't see a quick pivot for them, really. I mean, look at, look at their, you know, whether it's Kevin Hayes or I know James Van Riemsdyk's getting to the end of his deal at big money. Um, you know, the, Ryan Ellis came in last year, unfortunately, was injured most of the season. But just, just a lot of guys that you don't know if he would, what is there to get. And, and you know, they got a, a goalie in Carter Hart who's, sort of waiting for his, his blossoming moment as an NHL starter. I mean, I just think that, that there's a lot of kind of moving, interesting pizzas there. And, and you know, Torts is not going to let anything – he'll be pushing every button, you know, that much. Let's get to Ask CJ. Thank you, everyone, who sent in questions on Discord or Twitter. Let's take a few. Um, speaking of Columbus, this one's from Sean Hoy. Why hasn't Patrick Laine been resigned – sorry, re-signed by Columbus? Well, he doesn't have to be yet. Uh, there's still lots of time for that. He's only, he's a restricted free agent. Obviously, he has arbitration rights potentially. And you know, I I all that I've heard is that he likes it there. I believe they like him. And you know, I don't know what that next contract looks like. I mean, really, the term should be our focus because you know, if if it's two or three or four or five or six years, they're buying free agent years at the end, uh, potential UFA years. Um, but you know, I, I have every confidence that a deal will get done there. I just be very curious to see how long it is because he's, he's close to potentially being able to test the open market. And, and so, you know, I wouldn't surprise me though, if he made a commitment to the, the city, the organization and signed a longer term deal, kind of like we saw Zach Wierenski do last year, right? He signed a, a long contract to, to remain a blue jacket. And I think, you know, that, that organization has quietly done a better job of retaining talent. I know, you know, obviously if you guys want to leave, whether it's Panarin, Bobrovsky, um, you know, but, they, they, they've also, I think, developed an interesting culture, and I, I could see Line A being part of the future of that. Next question from Norman underscore LJR. And I actually have to admit, this is less of a question and more of an ask, I guess. Uh, positive okay. Rasmus. Oh, go ahead. I thought you said something. My bad. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. ready. Uh, okay. Hit me. Positive, okay. Positive Rasmus Sandine news, please. If it doesn't include the words extension and with the Leafs, I don't want to hear it. Well, look, he's he's on a second NHL contract coming up. So he, he actually has very few rights. Same with any other player coming out of entry level. Um, you know, the Leafs will qualify him, which will mean he remains their property by July 11th. And we'll just see where this goes. You know, when last I checked, there'd been no real contract discussions between him and the Leafs on, on the extension yet. But I, I don't see that as a rush. I mean, because he's a player, the Leafs will, will keep his rights. And, you know, it's really a matter of how long this next deal is. And, you know, I think they have to decide if, if they're keeping him right. It's not 
as though they want to get rid of him, but you know, the Leafs have a big summer ahead and they have three established left shot defensemen uh, under contract ahead of him. Um, and, you know, and, and at the moment it's, it's Jake Muzzin, Morgan Riley, and who am I forgetting? Oh God. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't, I haven't used the Leafs part of my brain too, in too long. Um, oh God. But, yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Just, just, just my, my brain has been elsewhere, so I don't have it. We're not going to edit this. We're just going to own this. I have a total brain crap, but I do. Know. Good. Um, but you know, I think he wants, he wants to be a leaf. Um, I think he wants to have a healthy season. He's had two years in a row interrupted by injuries. Didn't get to play in the back half of this year and in the playoffs. I, I think he'll be back and I think he'll be an important part of the organization. Okay. One last one for you here, Siege. Is Pittsburgh working towards bringing back Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin? This is from our states 22 on Twitter. There have been discussions, but it's not a sure thing. I mean, you get this close to the, you know, free agency. We're under a month now and the players aren't signed. It's tempting to at least look at the market. And I would say this applies to Letang and Malkin. I would say this applies even to Philip Forsberg. None of us thought he would leave Nashville. But here we are this close to the deadline. He's not signed an extension there. Um, you know, Johnny Goodrow in Calgary, the Flames would like an answer from him. Ahead of free agency, you know, he's got 115-point season here to potentially take this to, to market. And so um, I'm not sure they're going to be able to do it. There, there's different dynamics there. With Latang. it's, you know, it's, it's about the length of the contract. You know, he's coming off a great year. He played second or third most minutes in the league on average per night in the regular season. Still a right-hand shot defenseman, still produces points, um, which are valuable things on, on the open market. I, I could see him testing the market. And, yeah, this I'm not sure that Malkin's back either. Um, so they're, they're still talking, so it's not as though a decision's been reached. But I would say with every passing day that any of these players that have been longstanding members of organizations aren't signed, the, the more appealing the idea of, hey, well, I got this far. I might as well see what – you know, what the market thinks to me, what cities might um, be possible, what other teams maybe move to a contender. I mean, look, I, I think Pittsburgh has done an incredible job to make the playoffs this many years in a row. It's insane, but it's, it's getting late early there. You know, they just haven't made enough draft picks because they've been trading them. I get it. Why they, they, they've got three banners from this core of the team, you know, that includes Malkin and Latang and Crosby hanging in, in the rafters there, the console energy center. Um, that's probably worth it. All things considered, it's worth all the struggle and it's worth all the draft picks and young players you, you for, for, for went in the past, but you know, maybe it's time for a rebuild. And so the question is, does it start now or is it starting in two years or what? But it's, it's going to be starting at some point there soon. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions on discord or Twitter for our ask CJ segment. We appreciate them every single week that we do it. Big money siege. We got through another episode, episode 81, the Kobe episode of the Chris Johnston show. My Phil Kessel episode. Yes, yes. That's actually more of an appropriate hockey one to put up. Um, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, be sure to check us out on Thursday when we have a brand new episode. Will the Stanley Cup final be over by then? Who knows? You know, I don't think it will, but I don't know. If it's a sweep, I'm doing the stick taps in French on Thursday. <laughs> I'm anxious already. I need time to practice.
Okay, look, I, I can't really send you a French English dictionary to, to Tampa by then, but uh, I'm sure you'll figure it out. Uh, for CJ, we need a lightning wind to at least delay it a week for me. Okay, well, we'll see about that, CJ. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long, peace, and happy Juneteenth to everyone celebrating in the United States today. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.